This is episode 18 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Welcome again to the Inner Game of Aging podcast. This is episode 18. Dementia has become a rather prevalent condition in our environment. So it is incumbent upon us as a culture and as individuals to understand this condition more deeply. Dementia is being studied more intensely these days than it was in the past and for obvious reasons. But caregivers also need to deepen their understanding of what goes on inside of a person suffering with dementia. A few weeks ago, I experienced the Virtual Dementia Tour that was created by a nonprofit called Second Wind Dreams. What is the Virtual Dementia Tour? It is an experiential demonstration of what, might, what it might feel like to have dementia. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, today's discussion will give you some very compelling reasons for embracing this sort of demonstration, especially if you are a caregiver to a dementia patient. And with me today to discuss the Virtual Dementia Tour, otherwise known as the VDT, is the creator of the experience, P.K. Bevel. She is also the CEO and founder of this nonprofit called Second Wind Dreams. So if you are caring for, know of, or find yourself dealing with people who have dementia, and these days just about all of us are in that group, then you will need to listen to today's discussion. As always, the show notes page will have extra information that you may explore as well as a place to leave comments on your reactions and offer other feedback. And of course, the URL for the show notes page for this episode 18 is innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA18. So let's join this discussion with PK Bevel. May I know what PK stands for? Sure. It's Paula K, K A Y. Ah, let's see. The Virtual Dimension Tour. Can you give us a little bit of history and describe what that is for my listeners? Now, my listeners don't know anything. That is the assumption that I'm going on, that they don't know anything about the Virtual Dementia Tour. In the show notes page for this particular episode, I will have videos. I will have myself going through the experience. And they will see these show notes after they've heard this conversation. So can you describe what the Virtual Dementia Tour is and its history? Sure. Um, the Virtual Dementia Tour I designed for people to be able to understand what it might be like to have dementia. The reason I felt like that was important was because I worked very closely with staff and family members who were caring for people with dementia, and I frequently saw things that were happening that were actually making the person living with dementia a little worse. 
um, by talking louder to them, agitating them, um, trying to get them to do things that it was clear that they were unable to do or confused by. So after many years of watching this and trying to do trainings and help them understand, I felt like it might be time to try to figure out how we could try to identify with them personally. Because when you think about it, a person with a heart condition, uh, we can look at lab tests and we can look at echocardiograms and we can tell where the heart problems are. Hmm. When a person breaks their arm, we can look at an x-ray and we can see where the break has occurred. And most pathologies that people deal with, we can show a lab that will show exactly what the problem is. That's but right. a person living with dementia, we can't do that. Um, hmm. Frequently... It's a rule-out diagnosis. Um, we can get tests together that will assess the person cognitively, but the reality is there is no definitive way to diagnose dementia. Hmm. And to add insult to injury, the person living with dementia frequently has difficulty communicating what they're experiencing. So that leaves those of us who don't have the disease at a real loss to be able to understand why they do what they do that makes perfectly good sense to them. Oh, okay. And so the Virtual Dementia Tour tries to have us share that kind of dementia-like feeling or, you know... Correct. So what I did was I studied how the brain dies, and I studied when a part of the brain begins to have damage, what that ends up being behaviorally. So in other words, if someone is experiencing damage in the occipital lobe or the part of the brain that handles vision and, and understanding visual situations, what's going to happen is the person living with dementia is going to look at things and not be able to identify what it is mm. or figure out what it is that they're supposed to do with that thing. Well, we replicate that with the virtual dementia tour in many different ways. And it's the same thing with the different parts of the brain. I identified which are the most commonly um, impaired and the behavioral outcomes of that impairment and then how to trick your normal brain into thinking they have that same experience. How old is the VDK? I mean, VDT. Um, by the way, VDT is Virtual Dementia Tour, just in case I refer to it with this acronym so my listeners will understand. So how old is this particular technology that you've developed? Um, I began the research in 2000, and in 2002, um, the research culminated in a peer-reviewed and published article never occurred to me that this would be something that would actually grow into something else. <laughs> um, so I have a nonprofit called Second Wind Dreams, and I made the decision once I realized that the Virtual Dementia Tour was actually being sought after to donate the VDT to the nonprofit as an ongoing revenue stream. The Virtual Dementia Tour has been going around the country, and, you know, we can... I myself took it in Bedford, New Hampshire. I was very surprised. They slapped on these headphones on me with this white noise and siren going on at the same time. They put on these gloves on me so that I couldn't really f have my tactile senses were a little bit compromised. And then they banded fingers together, two different finger fingers on each hand. 
And then while this was happening, I had glasses on as well. Someone was reading some instructions to me, some instructions about some tasks that I had to do. Now, I thought I heard them, but as soon as I was let go into a darkened room, I believe the room was dark, it could have been my glasses, I literally forgot everything that occurred and found myself in an entirely new situation that I had to navigate. And it was a very freaky experience. My photographer recorded me doing this and it was hard for me to even understand what I was thinking. One of my tasks was simply to pour myself a glass of water. You know, another one was to put on a coat. These were admittedly simple things and Possibly one of the reasons I didn't listen at first because I wasn't hearing anything unusual. You know, you do these normal things, but then by the time I got into the room, putting on a lab coat, well, where's the lab coat? Finding five gold buttons? Uh, what are we talking about here? You know, and I became rather confused. You studied the brain to come up with these sort of challenges. Can you tell me about what you found during your study that resulted in it coming out this way? You mentioned various parts of the brain that dies. And how did you attack the the various elements here and the history of, for example, the glasses, the the sound in the, uh, in the ears? Can you tell me a little bit about that from a technical point of view? Um, sure. First of all, thank you for taking the tour. Um, it's not easy to step outside your comfort zone and do something that's completely foreign. So I applaud you for that and appreciate the fact It was an experience. <laughs> you're a good example of um, the shock and awe that kind of mm-hmm. comes from it when you go into that darkened room. Um, and the, the genesis of how the components were derived really do boil down to studying what the implications of that cell death is. Hmm. So let's start with the headphones. People living with dementia who are articulate can tell you that I hear roaring sounds in my head. Um, Or they will tell you that I can't get this buzzing to stop in my head. You also can tell that when you're talking to someone living with dementia that frequently they look like they hear what you're saying, but then they turn around and do something completely different. Well, that has to do with how they're integrating language. So I wanted to mimic that by creating the headphone sounds Mm -hmm. that are going to create this constant noise in your head while someone's standing directly in front of you, giving you tasks to do, and you cannot for the life of you figure out exactly what that has to do with everything. <laughs> but it must feel like to have dementia. To be yes. sitting there with a person talking to you and not have a clue what it is that you're supposed to do, but to be socially appropriate, you stood there and you acted <laughs> like <laughs> That was a funny part because while I was being given instructions as to the task that I had to do, I felt like I understood, but as soon as I parted from the individual... I wasn't sure that I did. You know, right. now, I, I have felt this many times over my life, even as a young kid. You know, we, we understand the most when we're with the per- person who's making us understand. But when I separated from the individual who gave me the instructions, I really didn't know what I was supposed to do when I got into that room. Yeah. Now, 
how does it come? How did you? What part of the brain is associated with the gloves that I was wearing? Uh, yeah, yeah, talking. Yeah. Okay. Part of the brain. So, but here's what's interesting. Um, <clears throat> when a person's living with dementia, people think that they forget how to button and unbutton and zip and unzip. That's probably not at all what's going on. It's the ability to use their fingers and their hands well that becomes damaged and being able to figure out what to do with those items that are placed in front of them. In other words, it's a coupling of the loss of visual discrimination and a loss of tactile functioning. Those two together make it hard for them to fill out paperwork, Mm. to uh, pick up a pen, to dial the phone, to do uh, buttoning their shirt. All of those things are happening at the same time. So I wanted to give you, um, give the person uh, going through the tour the opportunity to see what that felt like. It it felt rather frustrating. (laughs) Imagine what that's like 24-7. Oh, yeah. I, I only went through it for about 12 minutes or so. Now, um, it was funny because I was given five tasks to complete. And some of the things in the room occurred, to, you know, helped me remember what I was supposed to do. For example, I was supposed to find five gold buttons in a box of buttons. You know, I had to pick out five that were gold. And with these gloves on and with these glasses on, it was hard to see the buttons, let alone pick them out. I ended up doing things that I wasn't supposed to do, like opening up a medicine bottle or putting batteries in a flashlight, just trying to do anything, just trying to see what I could do. And, you know, as luck would have it, one of the things I accidentally did was what I was supposed to do. I can imagine walking around the world this way. It would be extremely compromising. It would be very compromising. Now, what sort of stories have you heard from this tour? You know, like this tour is going around the country for several years. What sort of anecdotal stories have you heard that would be interesting to relate? I can imagine many things might have happened along the way. Help me understand. Sure. Um, Well, during the tour, we get lots of responses, not only from the person themselves, but also there was an observer in the room watching every move you made. That yes. was recorded so that we could relate back to you exactly what happened during the tour. Because so often the participants even forget what they did themselves in there. Interesting. So, yeah. So what we hear from participants are things like, wow, I had no idea. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going uh. to take my time more. I'm going to make sure that I am brightening up the rooms a bit. I'm going to make sure that I'm giving enough light. Uh, and, it, and the list goes on and on. Yep, See, the yep. good thing about that is when the participant can tell us what they're going to do better, that's going to make a better world for dementia. But ah, if I'm yes. lecturing a group and saying, you need to add more light to the situation, you need to be more patient, be, you know, yada, 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 it's never going to be as effective as when you yourself have, have, have had the opportunity to do that and tell me what you're going to do. Chances of you doing that will actually happen. That's right. Now, the VDT, I can imagine it would affect caregivers quite a bit who are currently taking care of charges that have dementia. You would turn to look at your charge, the person you're caring for, a little bit differently after you've experienced that. And 
I can imagine, especially when your caregiver is a spouse who used to know you um, in a very different time, they might end up having a little bit more compassion for your condition at that time. And so um, I can imagine many spouses would turn to their afflicted loved one uh, and just feel a little bit more compassion and that they didn't feel before it's it just seemed to me that it would be i would hear a lot of stories where people are now understanding those people with dementia yeah um it's you know like i saw i'm going to put on my show notes page uh, a couple of the videos that i have seen on youtube because here again it gives a very good idea of what we don't know it's hard pk for us to know what we don't know and dementia is certainly amongst that, what it's like. And this virtual dementia tour has really, even while I was there, I saw people who were given five tasks, they were able to complete none of them. Yeah. Um, my my photographer, she was amongst that group, that five tasks, I couldn't understand what I was supposed to do. People walking out saying, I completed one and feeling proud of themselves and, and you know, and yeah, I completed two. It was almost like a competition. And these were simple tasks. You know, before I got into the room, I was watching these people compete on the number of tasks they complete. I was able to pour myself a glass of water, someone said. And I'm scratching my head. What is going on here? <laughs> and so, but simple tasks become very confusing. Did you mean for it to confuse all these people this way? <laughs> of course, because I want them to see what that must feel like to be that okay. confused. And let's keep in mind, too, that it's not really about the number of tasks, is it? No, it's not. It's really about learning what it's like to live in that world. Um, I had uh, done a speech and, and the VDT at the Harvard Innovation Summit, and uh, there were a lot of medical professionals there and a lot of people who, um, you know, know a lot about dementia, neurologists, uh, mm -hmm. that came out going, wow, I, I had no idea. But the most compelling one was a gentleman in the group afterwards who is a well-known um, professional in this field, stood up and said, you know, I thought this would be stupid. I thought it would be ridiculous. I wasn't sure about any of this. <clears throat> you know, I, I really did it just because I knew I was supposed to. Uh. So he said he got garbed up. He said, and I, you know, I was patient with it, and I got in the room, and I started trying to figure out the tasks, and he said... I went over to a desk and I counted out 17 cents in change, which I thought I was supposed to do. And I stood there and I had the 17 cents in my hand. And I realized then I had no idea what to do with it. I didn't mm -hmm. know where to put it. I didn't know how to handle it. And he said, at that point, I realized that's the point. That's that is the, the point, point we're making. That they don't know what to do. And they're doing the best they can with mm -hmm. their abilities that they have left. And we have to celebrate that and support it. Hmm. Now, dementia itself, you've apparently studied dementia quite a bit. Um, 
what do you see in terms of dementia? Uh, I know you you watch the VDT tour around the country and things of that sort, but how about the disease itself? Many people are getting living longer and older. Is dementia becoming more and more of a problem, or can it be cured? I mean, you know, like, what, what's the state of affairs, the state of the union message on dementia these days? Well, that's a really good question. And in fact, um, the virtual dementia tour actually is in 20 countries around the world. Wow. For 2 million people have been through the tour at this point. So we've, we've gotten to uh, check it out cross-culturally over time. Um, and dementia is dementia is dementia. It doesn't matter what the language is. It doesn't matter mm. what the environment is. Um, the VDT is, is uh, cross-culturally um, ad- is sustainable. Mm. Um, But as far as what the state of dementia is right now, I think I work on several national uh, committees on on this issue, and I think the pendulum is finally swinging to the reality that the cure that we're all hoping for and praying for is not on the horizon. It's just not. And Mm -hmm. if we continue to focus our efforts on the magic pill, we're missing the idea that right now 5.3 million people in the U.S. alone live with dementia. Now, that's 5.3 million people. But let's add to that. And their families and their communities and their loved ones across the U.S. or, or the world. So this is not just an isolated uh, thing. In the UK, just yesterday, they announced that it is the leading cause of death in the UK. In the United States, it's the sixth leading cause of death, but it's the only one of the top six that has no cure. Interesting. We are at a state with dementia that... As I said, the pendulum is starting to swing the other way to the realization that the real uh, way to manage dementia is through the people that are around them. It's the Mm. care provided. It's the time that it takes. It's the surrounding them with success. It's the ability to try to keep them engaged longer. It's trying to keep them at all of those things together are healthy brains, the eating right, exercising, those are the things that are going to manage dementia for a long period of time. But if okay. you refuse to pay attention to that, it's going to do nothing but continue to grow. Interesting. So the cure is not yet on the horizon. The dealing with it, trying to um, treat the disease involves just helping someone remain engaged in their environment as long as possible. Is there is there a way to prevent uh, dementia? Is there a way to keep it at bay for our lives, or is it inevitable? No, it's not inevitable at all. <clears throat> um, let me say this about the trend analysis, and that is that when a person is diagnosed with a form of dementia, and as I'm sure you know and your listeners know, dementia yep. is just the mothership name 
Like That's cancer right. is the mothership name, and under cancer, there's a lot of different kinds that are yep. different, but they still fall under cancer. Same thing with dementia. There's that's the mothership, and under that <laughs> is pre-seen or there's uh, all Louis bodies, Alzheimer's, there's a whole bunch of them. Right, you know, so. multi-infarct, mm-hmm. vascular dementia, lots mm-hmm. of different things, and each one of those brings to the table different. Uh, issues that are hallmarks of those different types of diseases. What we have to keep in mind is that in light of that, there are going to have to be different types of care provided. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. And Hmm. I think the, the movement in trying to, quote, prevent dementia is more the, uh, the eating right, the exercising, the, the hereditary component of dementia is only strong when a person is diagnosed at a very young age. The mm-hmm. younger you are when you're diagnosed, the stronger the hereditary component is. But if you're di- if a person's diagnosed 60, 65, 70 years old, the hereditary component is much smaller. <clears throat> there is a genetic code that is associated Mm -hmm. with some forms of dementia, not all. But here's the killer. If you have that genetic component that has dementia in it. APO4 or something like that? And there's, there are, um, the chances of you getting dementia that from that genetic component is very limited. Some people have the APOE and some of the other markers on their genetic code that never turn into dementia. So what hmm. in the world would you even want to be assessed for whether or not you have that genetic code unless it's been in your family from very young ages? Then you hmm. want to know. Okay. So if the genetic code for us to have dementia is weakened or not very strong as we get older and older, then the cure or the not the cure the cause of us coming down with the disease is maybe our lifestyle maybe our environment i don't know but it see my own belief i don't know if this is a true belief or not is that dementia is not part of normal aging you're correct Thank you, um, because I, I have no proof that this is an opinion. Of, you know, this is just an opinion of mine, which means that we must be doing something that's exacerbating the presence of this condition. I have no idea what that would be. Yeah, it could be anything. Well, it, one thing that exacerbates it are people who um, decide to pull out of life and Hmm. aren't engaged much anymore, don't do things, don't read more, don't volunteer more, don't get up. People who become very sedentary become more and more confused. I can even tell you on psyche. I can tell you on psyche valves. I even see that when I'm doing an assessment of, of a person who has been diagnosed with dementia. When I start the assessment out, asking day, date, time, place, environment, things like that, They can be very confused. Then I start moving on to other questions, and they start getting some right. Well, then I help them cheat. I take them back to the first questions again, and they start getting them right. 
You see what was happening? They were in that confused state at the beginning, but because nobody had been kick-starting them to help them remember things and pay attention more, they got increasingly confused. So Hmm. we have to challenge them. We have to include them. Uh, Segregating them from everyone else is, to me, another form of a human rights crisis. Um, Hmm. You can't separate them from the rest of us. They need to be a part of what we're doing in everyday life. That sounds that sounds wonderful, especially when I see so many of us our age afflicted with this disease to take us out of society at a critical time when we need society and we need that support around us in order to continue through. You know, so does the disease, I know there's many forms of dementia, does it progress differently if you're engaged than if you're not engaged? Is there a different path for the disease if you're if you're not engaged the progression is much faster is it yeah okay it it just for some reason or other pk it just seems that the brain is just like the body the muscles in the body the more you use it the more you have it to use right you know the less you use it the less you have it to use it's a use it or lose it thing Interesting, interesting. You make me want to go study everything in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. I've been trying to do that, but yeah, it's I can only learn so much at one time. So now, the you, you belong to an organization called the Second Second Wind Dreams. Yeah. Can you explain the connection between the Virtual Dimension Tour and Second Wind Dreams? You referred to it earlier, but I like to understand it a little bit more and get into Second Wind Dreams, if I can. Sure, I would love that. Um, I founded the nonprofit Second Wind Dreams with the understanding that until we as a society begin to take seriously the hopes and dreams of our elders, our society will start to crumble because our elders are our future. Our children aren't our future. That's a fallacy in thinking. Our children will have their future, but they're not our future. So our elders are our future, and that's who we should be focusing on. So finding out what their hopes and dreams are helps us begin to see them in a different light. So Second Wind Dreams goes about the business of discovering the dreams of our elders and then using the outside community around the elders to make those dreams come true. And Everything from the simple to the sublime. So we have little bitty dreams that are a dream when you're like uh, one one lady wanted to uh, swing on a rope swing. Again, she remembered that as a child. We made it happen. It's a small dream, but I've never seen anyone so happy in my whole life as I watched her. So we average six to seven dreams a day somewhere in the United States alone. Wow, uh, that sounds this. I'm, I'm probably going to ask you a few more questions there, but I want to go back to a statement you made. I would like you to explain this statement a little more carefully for my listeners. You say, our elders are our future. I believe I understand why you were saying that, but if you can explain that to make sure everybody understands where that statement comes from. Sure, um, and I appreciate your interest in that, because to <laughs> me, it is a fallacy in thinking. So if The future is what's ahead of us, not behind us. Mm -hmm. What is ahead of us now? We're not going to turn into children. They're not our future. 
What's ahead of us are the elders that are going before us. So that is our future. So are we going to continue to marginalize them and place them in communities and away from everybody else and segregate them? Or are we going to view them as a viable part of our society that continues to hope and dream? I opt for the second. The wisdom that comes from our elders can be immense, PK. Absolutely. And we are robbing ourselves as a culture and society by not tapping into this valuable treasure. You bet. And so, and so I'm right with you on that. I, you know, you express, although you express it differently than I do, uh, you express the same sentiment that I expressed. So I'm very appreciative that you see things in that way. still not clear on the connection between second wind and vdt i now know about second wind i now know about vdt the connection between them is what i'm looking at sensitivity when we make dreams come true we become very sensitized to the fact that our elders are still a viable part of our society when we do vdt Mm -hmm. we become sensitized to what dementia might be like so that we can serve them better so okay. it's, it's all about including our elders in the human condition. That's mm. what the whole organization is about. Interesting, interesting. Um, this 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 message of yours to to include our elders to make sure that their wishes are are our wishes as well to their happiness is our happiness as well it's no different than the children raising our children and taking care of our elders is really one and the same you know if we value ourselves value where we come from and where we're going to then both our children and our elders will be very important to us so um now um where you you say the vdt is in 20 countries or more right how does it? How did you get it overseas? I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the relationship between the United States dementia problems and that of the rest of the world. I'm just not aware of what other countries are doing in relation to dementia. Uh, you apparently can say some words there. What? How? How are the other countries dealing with this dementia problem? Just like we are. Really? Yeah, nothing's different. Uh, um, no. there, nobody knows what to do. Everybody's trying to research. They're going about mm-hmm. it backwards. Um, you know, it's, we got to learn what the best way is to uh, deal with the current condition. Um, yeah, uh, how did we get in 20 countries? Um, mm-hmm. I believe that we are a very blessed spiritual organization that uh, the doorway is open for us in ways that we would have never imagined because of our mission. Uh, hmm. I, we, I, we, our whole organization, when a door opens, we walk squarely through. Um, we don't question it. We don't. So when you consider the fact that we're in the media at least three times a week, U.S., wow. worldwide, um, you know, in this day and age, media stuff goes worldwide really quickly. That's so, right. um, that's how some of the other countries heard about us, and um, that's how we got there. So, if my if one of my listeners wanted to take the VDT, how could they do that? They need to go to our website, 
www.secondwind, spell out the word second, wind, make one mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. .org, O-R-G. Go to the Virtual Dementia Tour tab at the top, and it's going to have a tab below that that says Take the Tour. And that lists all the places that the VDT is being conducted. It's also helpful to us if you go to the Contact Us page and let us, if you don't see a place that it's going to be uh, done in your area, uh, let us email us and tell us where you are and what you would like, and we will couple you up with uh, the next place. And let me tell you why you have to go that extra mile. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't make the VDT open to the public. So, um, you know, if there's professionals involved or whatever, um, we, mm. but we will squeeze you in if you let us know that you're going to be in an area and you'd like to take the tour. We also have the family edition of the VDT. What is the family edition? Well, it is designed specifically for the family to conduct the tour in their own home or in the home of the loved one that has dementia. So you um, purchase the the VDT kind of kit, if you will, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, it has uh, the headphones and the um, audio confusion tape. It mm-hmm. walks you through how to garb up for the VDT, and it actually sends you through the entire tour. Afterwards, I wrote a booklet that's a little longer than a booklet, a novella, let's call it. that walks the family through what they just went through it's best if the family does it um, with several family members around so that they can see each other trying to go through the tour and then use the guide afterwards as a family to talk about how they're going to try to support their loved one that's living with dementia you can package it up and send it to the next family member, however you want to use it. Cool. You mentioned you have a booklet that describes the family version and some of the guides. That is it possible that I may include this on my include some of these material on my show notes page for my listeners to explore. Of course. I would I would love links to those things. I saw a video of you speaking rather eloquently on the on the VDT. So I will also include that in my show notes page for my listeners as well. What is your formal background for doing this? I mean, like, uh, I'm impressed with what you've done and said so far. What is your formal background? Well, thank you. Very kind. It's, um, it's a blessing to serve these wonderful, amazing people, um, every day of my life. Uh, so I have a formal background, you're right, but the most important background, I think, is that I had polio as a child, and um, I had both of the vaccines and contracted polio from the vaccine, <clears throat> which is mm. rare, but hey, there I was. Mm. I had to go through the journey of relearning how to walk, being that kid in school who is in the special chairs, um, viewed differently, even though um, internally I was exactly the same as everyone else, trying to break that barrier all the time of, I'm here, I'm here, (laughs) I may be shorter, but I'm here, and Uh uh, taking that journey, I think at the time, while it was difficult, it, it planted the seeds in my psyche for wanting to help others who are misperceived. 
So when um, I got my undergraduate degree at Georgetown College and um, with a major in psych and a minor in soch, and I started working in the field then, um, caring for adolescents. I can't tell you how much I hated that. It was miserable. Um, those kids were just, honestly, I just had, a t- I, I was having a tough time. Uh, I went back and got my master's degree in clinical psych in uh, at Eastern Kentucky University, which was a very eclectic school, which is what I like. And um, I specialized um, in really just basic clinical psych. Yeah. And um, when I finished, I had the opportunity to intern at a residential treatment facility. And once again, I was at with adolescents, which I was <laughs> one of the children's fathers owned a chain of 11 nursing homes and asked me why he couldn't get psych services in to um, the residents that he was serving. And I said, let me do some research and check on it. So long story short, I began with his chain of nursing homes providing care uh, from a psychological mm-hmm. perspective and um, grew pretty quickly because the need was great. And um, then that launched me into the whole thing of, you know, the first time I walked in there, Lee, in the first nursing home, I knew right away I was home. Because wow. people <laughs> who are misunderstood, misjudged, misaligned, marginalized. And when I would tell people that I work in nursing homes, you could see them back away from me. Oh, really? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Apparently, she didn't get another job. Well, that's not at all. I wanted that job. I loved that Uh job. So, I've spent the last 30-some years of my career trying to figure out how we can best serve these people. So, yes, I have a formal education, but the education I received growing up as a polio victim was probably the most valuable of all my education. Interesting. Now, PK, I'm going to wind this conversation down, but I'm going to ask you a question that I ask every single podcast guest. Before I ask you that question, and you don't have to answer it, but I need to know how old you are. Oh, no, that's no problem with me at all. I'm 63. You're 63. What is the thing that surprises you most about being 63? Um, it's the fact that I feel like I'm just now finally hitting my stride. Interesting. You know, I collect this answer from everyone I speak to, and we'll be putting out a report eventually on what a thousand people say about what surprises them about being the AJR. I appreciate your answer, and I also appreciate that you are quite proud of your age. Absolutely. I'm a survivor. I'm 63. I The dialogue on aging is changing. Now we have to change the dialogue on dementia. I want to thank you for doing your part in the world to make this a better place. I understand that you are driven by a mission, a mission that you feel inside of your heart. I can see this in this conversation. I'm appreciating it. And I'm thankful that there are people like you in the world who are doing their part. And so...
And that wraps it for our discussion today for episode 18. Now, if you would like to experience or host this tour, this VDT, there will be information on the show notes page to enable you to do just that. The show notes page also has pictures and videos about the VDT. You will also see pictures of my own experience doing this, at least pictures of me being set up for it. The show notes page has the family guide to the VDT as well as a few videos with PK Bevel herself and other videos related to how people have experienced this. The URL for the show notes page is innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA18. If you are listening to this on a mobile device, Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the topics coming up ahead. By subscribing, you will automatically receive each and every episode as it is released. And don't forget to visit the Inner Game of Aging website. There you will find all the episodes for this podcast as well as videos, including the New Age Aging videos, and other age-relevant articles for you to read. While on the website, Please sign up to receive updates and other information about what we are doing to spread the message of growing older but not old. By subscribing, you signify your connection to this message and can actually help for it to reach more people that need to hear it. And of course, you can always email me directly using lee at innergameofaging.com. I look forward to reading each and every piece of feedback I get. So, until next time. Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.